Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. And you can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. We are excited to be back after a little bit of a hiatus to talk about all things that have been going on with the Seahawks from rookie minicamp to OTAs that have just started to interviews about specific players and maybe rule changes. Maybe I know Jeff is dying to talk about which stadiums are best in the NFL. We will cover all that and more tonight and uh jeff is is punctual um, unlike the other two guys that will hopefully join us in a little bit uh at real jeff simmons jeff how are you doing man i'm all right man it's weird that like we haven't had done a mock draft in a while or like <laughs> like so much of my brain was occupied for that draft so it's like i feel like some sort of like emptiness now i'm still trying to like <laughs> find out but it was funny i was playing a uh, softball in a Benebrith softball, a reference that only you and Rachel would probably understand. But one of the players in our game was a, is a podcast listener in Toronto. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry they didn't draft Will Anderson. He must be devastated. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I'm playing first base, and this guy comes up to me. And it was just like, it's pretty cool to see that. And, like, I told him I was happy with, with Witherspoon pick. And I was – so yeah, still still going off that draft stuff. It's been cool to kind of see everything like kind of come together. But yeah, it's weird. Like I spent so much time in that simulator, and it's like I don't know what to do with my free time. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun, I, and I don't know, kind of like the first time the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, kind of like the first time the Seahawks won a Super Bowl. It's hard to kind of replicate certain experiences, and and I think that that draft. There's a lot of things about that draft that made it pretty special, and um, I don't know if we'll see that again, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun, and certainly I enjoyed the buildup. I probably enjoyed the buildup more than the draft itself, um, but even then, I, I I did enjoy the draft and have enjoyed kind of thinking about it and my feelings about that draft have continued to kind of evolve. We'll, we'll talk about that and talk about some of the new news about some of those players. Before we get into that, we've got Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB on Twitter, who's joining us from the road. He will be driving safely with his video turned off 
and uh, hopefully we can hear him. How are you doing, Evan? I'm doing so well. So well. I just joined uh, the LA Metro officially. Can you guys hear me? Okay, this is through some yeah, yeah, yeah. Safari web browser. I don't know if this is going to work, but uh, I am driving safely. But excited to catch up with you guys. Awesome, awesome. Well, it's good to have you. Appreciate you making the time on your drive, and please be safe. I know our listeners are are desperate to make sure that Evan uh, does not get distracted by an In-N-Out burger and veer off the road uh, in some terrible accident. So um, I want to start here. There's a few places we could go. There's all this news I want to talk about. But last time we were on the show, I was the lowest grader for the the draft of the group. Um, I think I was a B. And I think most people were in the A range. And my feelings continue to evolve about this draft class. And I'm kind of curious if either of you have had any new information come up for you since we last spoke that has helped either reiterate and like re, you know, reinforce your feelings about the draft or maybe change anything about any specific player. And Jeff, I'll, I'll start with you on this. Um, I wouldn't say anything personally for my thoughts i still came away like loving that first round i still thought the biggest gaffe was them not taking john michael schmitz in the second round or keanu benton and leaving the team but from digging around the team and digging around some of the things reported i've learned a couple things so one of the things that i have learned is that schmitz was obviously an area center um from what i understand steve hutchinson was really really high on the michigan center olu olutimi and I heard Jim Nagy talk about this publicly that when they were meeting with him at the combine in Indianapolis, Nagy was going through a bunch of the suites and Hutchinson pulled him aside. They both were Michigan guys and they were trying to figure out where they thought Olu would go in the draft. And they had him as a day two player somewhere. They thought like second, third round. And so Nagy was saying like, he thought the Seahawks would take Schmitz as well. But what he had heard after the fact is that, the Seahawks really, really liked Olu, which is kind of crazy. They waited till their second pick in round five. This is true. So that was interesting. And the one thing I keep finding interesting is the other fifth round pick, Mike Morris. Um, he's up to, I don't know if you heard today, he's up to, I think, 298 pounds. And he's a guy that, like, if you watch some of the clips of him, he looks a little slow and not, like, explosive. But he looks huge. He kind of looks just like a 3-4 end and they don't really have a lot of guys like that. So I've heard from the team that they're really, really excited about him and his body type and like how he's already putting on weight. And he just looks physically like like a guy that they don't really have at that 3-4 end what like a guy like Collier was supposed to fill out to be. And so uh, from what I understand, they're like the, internally they're really, really excited. Guys like Bradford and Cam Young, you won't really, really tell until the pads get on. But I heard those two guys internally, they're really excited about obviously the first round picks. And obviously we'll learn more about Derek Hall, which is a big question, I think, for all of us. But I heard those two fifth round picks have kind of jumped off the page early so far. That's interesting. Evan, I'm curious for you. Um, uh, any more thoughts from you about any specific players uh, in the draft? And it's OK if, that, if there isn't anything, but I'm kind of curious how this is how this has started to bake for you after a few weeks. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, honestly, I've only gotten and I know this is kind of on brand for who I am personality wise, but I've only gotten more excited, more optimistic about this draft class. 
I think even just with the, the recency bias of the Tariq Woolen news, you know, the other day with that little knee scope that he got, um, meniscus trim, uh, that Devin Witherspoon pick has gotten me even more excited for what this secondary can be. I think this defense has some legitimate concerns on the interior defensive line. I know, you know, they made some late round draft selections there. You know, I know they've signed some UDFAs over the past couple of weeks. I know they brought in Jaron Reed, but there's still concern there for me. Um, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sold on the fact that, you know, five or six uh, below replacement level type of players uh, are going to make that position group suddenly really solid. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to beat a horse dead there. Um, but my excitement continues to grow around, around this secondary, what they can be with a healthy Jamal Adams. Um, you know, the sky's the limit. I, I, I think this defense has been, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the right words to articulate this, but they've been discouraging for, for many of us over the past five to six years. We've pointed blame in many different directions. You know, Ken Norton Jr. was a, was a big one. Obviously, Pete, uh, you know, now Clint Hurt, like, They've got, they've got some serious legitimate talent that they are, you know, uh, packing into this defense. And it's something I want to see as like a more reliable foundation to this squad. You know, they invested in uh, defending the pass and passing in, in their, you know, their first two picks uh, this year. So I'm excited for what they can do defensively. Um, but uh, yeah, only getting more optimistic on my side. I love that. I, you mentioned a couple things I want to come back to as well um, about some of the UDFAs they've signed and um, the the Tariq Woolen news, but we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. I mean, where I left less fo- le- where I last left folks was that for me, Devin Witherspoon, Jackson Smith, and Jigba were home run draft picks. I think they were great picks, uh, and I think I have a lot of confidence that those players will be really good for the Seahawks. I felt like all the rest of the players were essentially, you know, may end up being role players, but not really good players. And so I, I felt like maybe they didn't get quite enough. Uh, we'll see what happens with Derek Hall and things of that nature. But I thought that 30, number 37 pick was a really, really important pick. And the fact that they also weren't able to trade back from any of their picks to get more picks in the top 50, top 75, I felt like we just missed maybe one more impact player. So that was kind of where I left things. And then um, I'm still mostly there. So I'm not going all over the place, but listening to some of the rookies in minicamp, and I don't know how much you guys listen to their press conferences, uh, hearing that Cameron Young's already up to 320, uh, hearing that Olu Timmy is at 319. Uh, seeing Mike Morris actually go through bag drills and seeing him at that size and how he's moving at that size. And then Jarek Reed, I think is like a sleeper here. Uh, this is a guy that maybe the most notable thing about him in the draft was John Schneider calling him an angry elf, like an angry little elf, right? That was probably the, the most notable thing, but there's like a buzz about him uh, around uh, around the camp, around the Seahawks. And then if you watched him and listened to his press conference, this guy's got a little bit of Doug Baldwin to him. Like there is a, there's a composure with an edge and a confidence that jumped out to me a little bit. Like, 
okay, this guy is someone to pay attention to. And who knows, maybe that ends up being nothing. But it started, I started to think about, okay, maybe Cam Young can be a year one starter who is younger and can be the guy in the middle of that line. Like I wasn't, it was hard for me to believe that at 304, that he was going to play a role that Al Woods at 340 was playing really well. 320 starts to be like, okay. I mean, I, I can see that. And if you look at him, he still looks like the same guy. The weight has not made him crazy uh, out of shape or anything like that. It seems like good weight. And Olo old Timmy guys, we've, how many times we talked about Joey hunt getting shit canned um, on like on the field multiple times or, you know, Austin Blythe or whoever else who's an undersized, underweighted, understrength center getting pushed around. And so I loved hearing that. And I also really loved um, hearing, I don't know if you heard Shane Waldron talk about Olu, uh, I think it was today or recently, but has just talked about the fact that you could hear it in the way he was talking about him that he thinks this guy's going to be a starter. Like he didn't say it, but he's like, he literally said, he's like the guys that we've had in the past that come in here and act like they already belong. And you can see it has command controls a room. That's what you want to have in a center. Like those are really encouraging pieces. So Obviously, this happens every year where you get kind of spun up in the lead up and you get spun up by one thing that they do in a training camp and you get spun up by something they do in preseason. Then you get to the regular season and all of a sudden it looks nothing like it did most of the time. And, you know, you're like, ah, I knew it. But I think the arrow's pointing up um, as someone who's been hesitant about some of those picks. I feel like the arrow's pointing up. Last thing I'll say there is it's pretty clear that they feel as concerned about the nose tackle position as we do. <laughs> like they are, they're pretty freaking desperate, right? Like they brought in like six guys. I was surprised they released Robert Cooper, who was one UDFA I was excited about, but apparently has, has gone out. Um, they cut him. So Evan, I think I saw you start to unmute. Uh, were you about to say something? Yeah, I was going to thank you for giving me a very vivid memory reminder of Joey Hunt just getting absolutely run over by Aaron Donald and, like, flat on his back, embarrassed. So I just wanted to thank you for that. He's still on the very team. Joey Hunt is? Yeah. Yeah. They brought him in last year. Seattle Seahawks? Yes. They brought him in at, like, the end of last year on the yeah. practice squad. Like, Pete was talking about, like, the center competition, like, a week ago. And he, he just – out of respect, he like put Hunt's name in there. I'm just like, oh, come on, man. As a player, not a lunch server. <laughs> yes. There was a he game against the Niners. I think the first play of the game, he just got like, I think it was DJ Jones, just like knocked him like into another planet. Are you guys fucking with me? No, he is. He was even mentioned today about that there's going to be a great competition among Joey Hunt, Olu, and Evan Brown for this. Uh... The center this position. guy, this guy has like passively been in the league for like, has he been in the league for like five or six years now? I feel like. <laughs> oh, at least. Yeah. Like he's been around really for a while now, and he's just kind of, he's just kind of there. Really yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's managed to actually be okay when he's not going up against elite talent, but when he's going up against someone who's very good, he's just 
he's not just bad. He's incapable of manning the position at that point. And you can't have that. You can't have a guy that against certain teams, your offense just is going to have to take an L for the day. It can't function. And that's who Joey Hunt is. He does have amazing hair though. He does. I mean, look, I, I would, I would, I would rock that if I could. I could. I would rock it as well. So not all of us have Evan's locks, but uh, he's, he's got those luscious locks. It's ridiculous. That's he the does. analysis you need me for. So he does. He does. Um. So yeah, I I, I kind of um. I want to go back. You said something else, Evan. You talked about Jamal Adams. And I'm curious if you guys had this reaction, but people like there are people, multiple people, who were freaking out about Jamal Adams not being at OTAs. And I don't know. If, did you guys hear this stuff? I see uh, Jeff. Like, you saw this? Like discussion on Twitter or? Yeah, just general, like, and on radio, like people just being like, he's not That's the crazy. kind of leader we need. You know, he should be here. What are they like? They were pretty, like, they were taking him. They're like, I'm tired of this with him. I'm done with him. Dude, did either of you have that, have that type of reaction? Jeff, I'll start with you. Honestly, not at all. Um, there, there are reasons to get upset with Jamal Adams and there's a bunch of things he's done that I would understand that reaction, but OTAs are voluntary. He's rehabbing and like Quandre wasn't around last year at this time. He was rehabbing and a big part of rehab as Quandre pointed out to Brock is kind of sticking with routines. And honestly, I could not, did I wouldn't even flinched if it was training camp, then I might think a little differently. But the first OTA, like I didn't, that would have never even crossed my mind had I saw a couple of the radio hosts not go out of. Yeah, I mean, Evan, what do you think? Yeah, so my understanding is when he had this quad injury uh, in week one of last year, my understanding is that this was a 12 month, like 11 to 12 month uh, rehabilitation timeline uh i don't know if that's still accurate but i don't think people realize the gravity the extent of how severe his injury is there are careers that do not recover from this type of injury so for anybody to be shocked that he's not at otas right now uh voluntary mini or voluntary camp like that's that that seems totally unrealistic at least from what i've heard so far am i off base here no, you guys sound exactly the way I like what I was reacting. I was like, I don't get it. Like I, the only thing I can I can kind of make sense of is I think people are just pissed about Jamal Adams and the fact that he hasn't returned. He cost so much and has not returned the value and has been injured a bunch and 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 so then they, I think it's almost like ah. Well, if he's not going to even be here to be a leader and influence this team and show up like the, one of the highest paid players on the team, like he is, then screw him. And I, one, I mean, I understand the frustration, even though I think it's very poorly directed. Two, I guess I just am like, that's not like to Evan's point, the best thing that Jamal Adams can do for this team is get healthy. Like that's the best thing. And that the only question to ask is what is the best situation for him to be getting healthier and getting the, the highest percentage chance that he is going to be able to actually play for this team this year and have an impact 
And it makes very good sense to me that it would be the same routine of where he is now with the same people he's been working on and the same support system instead of flying on a plane up to Seattle, going through all that, being in a new place, standing on the sidelines at OTAs, cheering guys on as opposed to recover. Like it just seems super weird to me. So I don't know. I just, we don't have to talk a ton about it, but it was a little shocking to me that that was such a big deal to people. I'll just say this, like, you know, I, I was just reading up some past quotes on what Pete had to say about this. He said in Pete, Pete said in December, this was going to take the entire off season keyword entire off season for Jamal to recover, you know, from this torn quad injury. He's in, he's in Texas right now. People forget that this is not some guy just working out in a gym. This guy has most likely a full team of rehabilitation specialists around him, doctors, nutritionists, physical therapists, uh, you know, all the whole gamut. And it, it, to me, it doesn't make sense for a player to change his environment of rehabilitation that he's been in for the past, you know, almost nine, 10 months, fly up to Seattle, bring his entire, it just doesn't make logistical sense to me. And I think the team is on board with that. So I think people should temper their expectations. hundred percent agree with you, Brian. Jamal has to get healthy. That should be the focus. If the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs, if they're going to make a deep run in the playoffs, they need a healthy, fully weaponized Jamal Adams. And that is not possible unless he's fully healthy. So stay in Texas, get healthy, boy. And I, I think it's a lot of it just like, I know, Brian, you've talked about this a lot. I think it's our mindsets towards Jamal and what we're expecting them this year. And Brian, you've talked about this a lot. You kind of anything you get from him this year in your mind, I'm kind of the same way. Almost an afterthought. Like it's a bonus. Like Evan talked about the severity of that injury. Um, so I think the three of us are kind of the mindset, like we're kind of looking at the roster and we're not even looking at Jamal. I think a lot of the people who are upset they're probably thinking like this defense needs Jamal Adams. And I think that's a foolish way. I think that's a big part of the perspective and that's where the angst and the stress. And I think Brian, you've said so well throughout the whole off season. I, that's where I am with him. I think if you get anything out of him, it's a plus. I think expecting anything from him based on what Evan just said, it's, it's pretty hard. And they got, they got Julian love. They got, they got the guy you talked about before. And yeah. I think that's where that anger comes from. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really good call out. It's so clear in my head. I've just put Jamal Adams to the side and Jordan Brooks. I just don't think about them. And if they if like they happen to surprise and contribute, great. But I don't think about them on this team. People talk about Jamal Adams a lot. But I don't think about him as actually playing this season and being good. Um, if he does, awesome. But I'm looking at it as Julian Love, Quandre Diggs, you know, and the rest of the secondary. I was much more interested in the news about Tariq Woolen and Artie Burns signing than I was about Jamal Adams staying in Texas to rehab. So talking about that for a second, I'm curious. Artie Burns signs with the Seahawks, cornerback, older cornerback, not that old, but older. And was a guy that they were pretty high on last year. He was actually like a Sean Desai guy um, from Chicago. He originally was in Pittsburgh, but kind of resuscitated his career in Chicago. And Desai like, was like, yeah, I want him here. Desai's gone. Burns barely played last year, partially due to some injury. And they sign him. And I was like, what the hell? Like, you've got a very full cornerback room. So what's going on here? And first thought was, 
hope it's not injury related because there's certain guys that didn't show up to OTAs that I was surprised did not show up. Jeff, I think your first thought was maybe they're going to trade one of their guys. Like maybe they'll trade a Mike Jackson. Maybe they'll trade a Trey Brown, you know, whatever. And I thought that was actually a good, good thought too. Unfortunately, it turned out to be the former. Uh, at least it seems to be uh, on face that, that Tariq Woolen, we found out, quote, hurt himself walking on the field. <laughs> Not awesome, uh, but okay. And good news of that is that it seems relatively minor. He had arthroscopic surgery on a knee, rough timeline, six, six to eight weeks to be back. Um, should hopefully be back for camp, that kind of thing. He tweeted that he was doing fine and appreciate all the well wishes. How do we feel about this? Uh, Evan, I know you've got takes on, uh, on Tariq Woolen's body specifically, and you want to shame him a bit there. And <laughs> that's no, I, uh, the, the way they classified it as walking is so funny to me because I just, you just know, like somebody, some player was clowning on him. Somebody was messing with him. And, and this is total speculation to be clear, but like, I don't know. It, I almost feel like there's more to the story on that, but I could be totally wrong. But yeah, I know it, it sounds like a freak incident. Uh, glad he's okay. Glad the recovery timeline is short. And it also kind of shows you just how, you know, maybe I'm speaking the obvious out loud here, but, you know, a player of his caliber one year in, for all of our hearts to immediately drop in sync when he went, you know, when we saw that news from Chester that he went down, kind of just goes to show you how pivotal he's been for this team and this defense. It's really absurd what he accomplished in his rookie year. So uh, thankfully we loaded up at that position, but um, yeah, it sounds like based off the details we saw from Schefter that, uh, you know, meniscus cleanup short trim isn't, isn't that big of a deal. Uh, hopefully it doesn't impact the rest of the season, but we'll find out more. Are you going to give him your, your leg workout? Kevin? We need to get that boy on the leg press. That's all I got to say. He does, not need Bobby <laughs> Wag we, he does not need Bobby Wagner calves, but we got to give on the, get him on the calf, you know, the calf machine. Like we got to, we got to help him a little bit because uh, did you guys see that screenshot that he posted on Instagram? <laughs> I, did, I did after your text. My brother, this, this guy has some Pinocchio legs. Like, we got to fix them, but you know, you, you understand that the way that human bodies are made is that like ankle and, and calf width and, and thickness is directly correlated to explosiveness and speed, right? Like if you, this, this, the thinner your ankles are generally the faster you are like that, that's across almost all sports as far as I know. So you can get him stronger, but he's going to be slower, Evan. Oh yeah, no, this is definitely not a rational argument. I'm just talking about this. <laughs> I, I was hoping you'd make make it make a, a surprise argument there. I, I appreciate that. So, uh, Jeff, what's your take here? Is this it, on the concern scale of not concerned at all to holy shit, we're fucked? Wh what's your where are you on that scale? Probably like on the two not concerned scale. Initially, I. I I was a little freaked out when I saw that breaking news banner that came up on Schefter's Twitter. And I was like, Oh my God, Brian was right. He's up for the season, but looking into it, it's, uh, I was told from multiple people, it was not a significant injury. I think Brady and the Schefter came out 
Bray Henderson, who initially reported, came out and said the same thing. They actually caught a kind of a break just with pure timing on this. The fact that this happened now at the end of May and they're not really doing anything significant until the end of July. The timeline, it's supposed to be a four to six week injury. I think Brian or someone found a tweet the other day where they said by eight weeks, he should be just 100% full go. There's no real risk here. It's what we understand a pretty minor cleanup. You don't want to ever call surgery minor, but just it's one of those things where he's just getting cleaned up and he should be back in time for camp. And even if he misses the first week of camp, it's not a big deal. And the biggest thing is, from what I understand, it's not something where there's a risk of him being significantly slower or impacting his speed. So timing-wise, in an odd way, they caught a bit of a break where he can rest and he's not at risk of re-injuring and he can get healthy. But, yeah, it's obviously a little scary. And I haven't talked about how important the strength of this defense is with that secondary group. They're lucky. They're a position where they can afford an injury because they have crazy depth there. They're five deep at cornering. It's telling how much they've come around last year at this time. Brian, you mentioned it before with Burns. Last year at this time, we thought Artie Burns and Cindy Jones were going to be the two corners. <laughs> yes, we did. And we were sadly excited about that. Yeah. Jones played well the year before. Burns kind of turned around. There was debate if Burns was going to play nickel or not. There was some bad information out there. Um, but those were the opening day projected corners at this time. And now already Burns is like the sixth. Don't forget corner. Justin Coleman. We were excited that they signed Justin Coleman, Coleman to play nickel. Yeah, and he was terrible last year. Um, so, like, one of, it's just one of the cool parts of this roster. That's, is the, one of the reasons I thought of that possible trade is, like Evan said before, there's a glaring hole on this team. And years ago, I think they traded Kelly Jennings for Clinton McDonald. And I was like, oh, well, they've got a position of strength. There's an obvious hole. Maybe they can make a move like that. Burns can be that special team's fifth corner. And I saw DK Metcalf go at Greg Bell being like, they need to sign this guy. They need a veteran in the room. Like, what are you talking about? And then the next day, the Wolden thing comes out. So in the end, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. Obviously, you don't want to make light of any surgery, but I think everything's okay here. You know, one of the other things that happened since we were last on, and correct me if I'm forgetting the, the, the timeline here, but there was an excellent interview of Devin Witherspoon's position coach at Illinois. Um, I think his name is something Henry. I, I, I don't remember exactly. But in any event, he was on Mitch Levy's show, Mitch Unfiltered, his podcast. And he went on about Devin Witherspoon. He told a story. I don't know if people have heard this story, but I'll tell it really quickly. There was, they started playing. There was a new offensive coordinator for Illinois. And first day of training camp, uh, they were installing some, some plays and they tried a double move on Devin Witherspoon. It didn't work, but the next day they run basically the same set, but Devin Witherspoon jumps in front of a slant and takes it 80 yards for a touchdown. The offensive coordinator turns to the position coach here, the, the, the coach, uh, the cornerback said, you guys are tipping plays. There's no way he knew it was coming. He went over to Devin Witherspoon, told him about it. Witherspoon stood in front of the whole team, told every single player on offense what they were trying to do on that play, how he read that by, based off of their tells what was going to happen, and how he knew based on the double move they ran the day before that they were going to run this 
in this out of this set today. I, I'm telling you guys, that is not a common story. <laughs> that is not something you hear. That's not one of those. He, you know, he just is learning and he's got a bunch of great talent and he's a great, smart guy. Like this is very specific about a guy that does things that are very unique. And not only that, but it lines up perfectly with what Pete Carroll said he loved about this guy. When he came for a visit, Pete Carroll sat him down and said, I want you to tell me how you're making the reads you're making. And the guy went through, Witherspoon went through and told Pete time after time, all the details of what he was doing to read defenses. That is how Pete doesn't just say that people remind that remind him of Troy Polamalu every year or even every 10 years. This is how Pete's got to this conviction that this guy is special and that they would take a cornerback at five when they've never taken a cornerback before the third round and only one before the fourth round in like, what is it? 14 years, 13 years, whatever it is at this point. So I, you know, yes, Tariq Woolen, let's all celebrate that. Hopefully this is minor and he can get back and we get to see both of them play together and be what we want. But I'm telling you, that got me even more hyped about Witherspoon and, and about this draft in general. And, and man, that guy, that, Oh, the other thing he said was Witherspoon will be angry if he doesn't get to guard the best player on the field for the offense. I'm looking forward are, to that. Are, are you, are you trying to arouse me right now? You know, I am man. I mean, it's That's a little amazing. early for us, but I I, I, had, I, get I had not heard that story. That's incredible. Seriously. Right? I mean, you got a guy with that much talent who also never had actually just started playing football when he was a junior in high school and is still new to the game. I mean, all signs are pointing to this guy being potentially, and he's got this attitude and this edge. I'm psyched about it, guys. I, I, I could have, we could be a lot of fun watching those two and then whoever ends up at three. I feel still like Trey Brown is getting a lot of slight here. I think Trey Brown, to me, has a potential to be the, one of the other starters here. But I love that cornerback room, man. So I, I really do hope Tariq Willen's uh, healthy and, and uh, we can see them at full, full strength. Um, all right. I'm going to get into some Patreon questions, if that's okay with you guys. Is that good? You ready? Let's do it. Okay. So as I'm getting these pulled up, I will just say, if you haven't already, please give the show a like. Uh, It just takes a second. Subscribe to the channel, which is growing, and we've got a great community here. Um, And then go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Get immediate access to the Slack channel, where the conversation is going on every week, all the time, whether you're here or not. There is a Kraken channel. Uh, Kraken made a great run. They're, they're quiet. There is a Mariners channel. Mariners hopefully are starting to turn it around. So even during the offseason, there's always stuff to talk about there. Patreon.com slash Hawkblogger. And we will answer your questions uh, when we do the show all the time. And so we will start here. Uh, <laughs> first question. I've got to actually now. Uh, let me go with this. First question. I'm going to give this to you, Evan. This comes from Jen Maz, who's watching the show as usual. So thankful for you, Jen. 
Evan, she wants to know, how do you feel about Artie Burns taking the number three? The number three cornerback spot? No, the jersey number three, like a former quarterback for the Seahawks. Oh, my gosh. I forgot that we didn't talk about this. Uh, I don't have a problem with it, actually, as a, as a former and current uh, Russell Wilson stand. Uh, I think one thing that's getting lost in this conversation is that my understanding is the way this has been done historically is you don't actually retire numbers until a player is done playing in the league. I could be wrong, but that's basically what I remember the Seahawks doing, other teams doing. Um, I don't think they intentionally tried to disrespect or slight or anything like that. But I will say this, when Russell is done playing, in the league and he does retire i do think they should retire that number and by the way i'm just going to chip in real quick here with a take seahawks fans i'm going to say something highly uh let me let me rephrase that this might get me canceled it's okay and i would even encourage you to root for russell wilson this year it's okay the broncos don't owe us any more picks we got great value out of that trade we're they Incorrect. Come. Not from the from the Russell Wilson trade. Not from the Russell Wilson trade. Oh, you're talking about the trade they made in the draft. The third round pick we got from them. Yeah. Okay. But we but we have no more remaining picks from the Russell Wilson trade. That is correct. We don't. We do not need to. You don't have to like the Broncos. You don't have to, uh, you know, root for them or anything like that. But I don't know. That guy was special for us. He'll always be special for us, and I'll be rooting for him this year. Jeff, we, we know answer. that Evan's got the, the Russell Wilson underoos uh, still uh, underneath whatever jersey he's wearing. So, <laughs> yeah, I was surprised he wasn't upset by that. Yeah. Uh, all right. And, and <laughs> one of the first questions is, uh, threw me because I had to go back and find it. But people were like, hey, you're supposed to have a pod last week or whatever it was. And can you go back to those questions? So I did go back to try to get some. There are so many questions. So we're not going to get through everyone. But Mark Zuck asks, and this is for you, Jeff. What are the odds that you're willing to bet that D. Eskridge makes it on the team? And I don't know if you've been hearing the the buzz from Gino and from other people about D. Eskridge, but why don't you share a little bit what we've heard and then tell us what you think about that? There's no clear sign we're in OTA season where there's no tackling and there's no mostly it's not even seven on seven yet where you start to see all these guys getting buzzed and D.S. Critch is just, it's a perfect sign of all of a sudden they draft his replacement and he's healthy. And if you want to read like a puff story and training camp, like that's definitely be them. Assuming D doesn't get hurt, which he really, the, injury, the issue with him is he hasn't been able to be on the field. It's been durability issues. And yeah, the concussions the first year, I think assuming that he doesn't get hurt and he can make it through camp, I would bet basically any high level stakes I would have last time I said too much in that quarterback thing. So I got yelled at, but um, he, he's going to make the team. He, he fits as the fourth receiver. He's good insurance. If somebody gets injured, even though he can't stay healthy, but I think he's going to make the team. How much is he going to contribute? Who knows? They drafted a first round pick at his position. <laughs> it's two years into his rookie contract. I don't know if you can uh, be more obvious about how the team thought about him and his future more than that. They 
replaced him with the highest they've drafted receiver since like Joey Galloway. So, um, or Corn Robinson, I think it was. But yeah, I think he'll make the team, but he, you know, he's just a depth player at this point. This reeks of KJ Wright hyping up Tedrick Thompson, and I will not tolerate this. I, I had I had missed this. Is Gino hyping him up? Who's hyping him up? Yes, so yeah, Gino, Gino worked out with him in Florida, and he's saying he's going to have a breakout season, and he finally gets it, and he understands routes now, and it's like, what is he, 28 years old now? Oh, my God. <laughs> this, is, this is another weapon in my toolkit to, to troll the Gino group he's on because that's ridiculous. That's, I, I appreciate Gino's uh, optimism and, and kindness, but come on. You're on the wrong side of history here with Gino, Evan. It's gonna, you're gonna have to split this pretty soon. I, I don't know when it's gonna be that there will be a point where Evan is just gonna be like, okay, I'm a, I'm all in on Gino. Oh, first interception, he's gonna say they should have drafted Will Levis. Oh, <laughs> Gino Smith will not see his full contract with the Seattle Seahawks, sir. Oh, that's a bad take, dude. Ooh. That's a bad. He'll, take. he'll be, he'll be two years through, and he won't make it through the third year. I think there's a. Yeah, that's what I, I think that's reasonable. I think there's a better chance Gino has two more contracts with the Seahawks than that he won't see us another one. Two additional contracts. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, that's what I think. But let's go. Let's keep going here. Um, Evan, I have no idea how to pronounce this. X I J I O Zigio. Uh, which which new player, which player that was not on the roster last year, are you most excited about for the Seahawks this year? And this can be free agent, you know, Draymond Jones. It can be Devin Bush. It can be Julian Love. It can be, you know, one of the draft picks. Who are you most excited that the Seahawks have added? I think it's got to be JSN. I really do. Uh, he's going to make a really formidable receiver group he gives us depth at that position a young talent for dk and tyler to to mentor it makes this this offense even more explosive with a capable wide receiver three what he did at ohio state was absolutely absurd there's so many people i know that wanted him on their favorite football team i think it's got to be jsn i'm trying to think of anybody who honestly even comes up with a close second i think julian love could play a surprisingly extensive role this year. Uh, you know, he, he's a, he's a, I think there's a lot of people that think about him as um, somebody who will, who will play more of like a, a role type position, but you know, with the health of the secondary, he could end up being a, you know, a full-time starter. So we'll see, but I, I think it's got to go JSN for me. Yeah. I think those are good calls. All right. Next question. I will take, uh, LOB, Legion of Brazil, longtime patron, asks, is this defense a cause for concern? No big bodies on the defensive line, and our linebackers are old, Bobby and Devin Bush. Easiest question asked so far. The answer is yes, it is a cause for concern. <laughs> there, there is almost no part of this defense that is something you can be you can count on. Um, I would say the things that you can have some confidence in Tariq Woolen if he's healthy. And Bobby Wagner being good at defending the run. 
and Ichenu Nuosu yeah. being a steady contributor, being a, a solid player. I I don't know if you can count on anything else. Like just really know for sure. Quandre Diggs has been a different player at different times. We've already talked about Jamal Adams. Julian Love, as much as I'm excited about, we've never seen him in this in this defense with this coaching staff. Kobe Bryant, as much as I love him, he got abused quite a bit last year, even though he made some plays as well. Uh, Devin Witherspoon has never stepped on an NFL field. Michael Jackson has been good, but not great. Trey Brown has been injured and not proven he's back to the player he was. The interior of the defensive line is full of question marks. Draymond Jones has not yet played for this team, and we don't know how good he is going to be in this defense. Daryl Taylor, who has been pretty interesting as a pass rusher, has been not so great as a run defender. Not clear who that's going to be. On and on and on. I could go through every single player. There is not a lot of sure things on that side of the ball. So good news is, we're going to find out maybe hopefully surprisingly together what we've got, because there's been year after year after year, we've been excited about something and then got something else. We were worried about the pass defense and then the run defense sucked. Or we worried about the run defense and the pass defense sucked. Worried about the pass rush. And it was the coverage. It, like it's always been something. So let's just get something out this year. Could, could I jump in here? I want, I want to, yeah. I want to get your perspective both of your perspective and expectations for Daryl Taylor this year. What, what do you expect out of him? Because going into last year, he was, I feel like one of those ascending type of players that everybody was really excited about. And then he kind of didn't, I mean, he had flashes last year, but I don't think he lived up to people's expectations. So I'd be curious to know where you guys land on him and what you kind of expect from him production wise this year. You know, I've got a take on this, Jeff, but I'll let you go first. Uh, yeah, I think he kind of got – I don't know if exposed is the right word, but I think we learned what he is. Yeah, like Evan said, two years ago I thought he was a core player in the defense and some of their a building block for them. And he's got a really, really valuable skill. He's a really, really good pass rusher. And I think my expectation is him to be a third-down designated pass rusher kind of guy. Uh, obviously, he apparently bulked up and he should be into the run. But, like, I, I'm a – the picking Derek Hall and targeting Will Anderson as a run defending guy who's not an elite pass rusher with Nuosu, who's really good at setting the edge. I think it's pretty clear what Daryl Taylor is and his skill is very, very valuable. Having like a third down guy who can crush on the edge is really valuable, but I expect him to be at eight to seven, a nine sack player. Maybe he goes 10 if he's good all year, but I think he's a third down rush only player. And I thought he's, he was so bad against the run last year. You can't count him as an every down guy. Yeah. Evan, I'm going to rant for here for a second. I, I think Daryl Taylor is the most slept on player on the Seahawks roster. And it's very weird to me because I think a lot of it has to do with our expectations versus what he's done. And the fact that he does have real flaws to his game as well. But this is a guy who <laughs> uh, missed his first year to the injury. Second year was really promising, uh, produced a lot in the pass rush. Last year, started off real slow to the point where he got benched, but then finished with 
eight and a half sacks in his last eight games had nine and a half sacks total and is basically his second year full year as a pro um there I, I could go through it with you guys but there's very very few seahawks draft picks in the history of the franchise that have had nine and a half sacks at any season within their first three years doesn't happen very often so and i don't think you get nine and a half sacks accidentally so i think that there should be reason to be bullish about daryl taylor I think the biggest question is to Jeff's kind of point, what's his role? Because he doesn't seem like he's an every down player. If he cannot defend the run and he could not defend the run last year, then he can't be a first couple of down player for you. He's got to be a specialty player, role player, which is going to limit his snaps. So I think no matter what, he's a valuable piece. I just, I just don't know if he, if he can answer the question about being able to be a better run defender, if you get the message about that, he may end up being the best pass rusher for this team and could be a guy that does end up with, I don't think it's crazy to think he could get what some people were talking about last year, which is 10, 11, 12. There are people talking about 15 sacks for this guy. I think that's like on the very edge of what he could do. But I think he could definitely be a double-digit sack guy. He was nine and a half last year so I, I, in, in limited snaps. So I don't see why he couldn't do it this year. All right. Rant aside, good good aside on Mr. Taylor. Our old friend, Jared Brantz. Let's go back to you, Jeff. Besides Gino, which player do you think the Seahawks can least afford to have missed time this season? Honestly, it's a weird answer. It might be Draymond Jones. And it's weird. A guy I've never seen him play on this defense. He's completely new to the team. But if you pull Draymond Jones out of the defensive line, who's going to create any pressure? And who's going to, like, draw a double team or, like, cause any sort of havoc? Like, Jaron Reed is, a at this point in his career, you're hoping he's a run-first player. He wasn't good against the run last year. Cam Young's a guy who just doesn't have pass rush. And then who else is there? Like, it's pretty scary. The receiver position is so deep. Running back is so deep. The other guy, probably the better answer, might be Charles Cross because of how valuable he is. And, but they at least have something behind him, like Stone Forsythe and can play a game. Like, if Draymond Jones comes out, who the hell is – on this defensive line. And the other answer is probably Bobby because if that, if Bobby goes out, then you got Devin Bush and Radigan until George, if Jordan Brooks comes back. So I think those are like the spots and it's more about the roster spot than anything else. One, again, if Tariq Woolen goes out, they're, they're, they're fine. They're the safeties. They're fine. So I think it's Draymond Jones, which is kind of crazy. That's a good one. Uh, Evan had to drop. We appreciate that, uh, Evan being on. And Jeff, you and I are going to tag team the, the rest of these real quick. Uh, Faz from UK asks, he's just really recently started his Seattle sports jersey collection. And he's curious to know what are your guys, what are our favorite sports jerseys, uh, Seattle sports jerseys of all time? This does not have to be the Seahawks, just Seattle in general. So I'm probably a little bit better equipped on the Seattle in general, but go ahead. Where, where does this go for you? 
Um, I do weirdly have a bunch of Seattle sports jerseys, even outside of the Seahawks. I have a Griffey Mariners jersey. I think if you don't have that, you got to get one of those. I have a Gary Payton Sonics jersey. I think a, a Kemp would be great. I think a Ray Allen would be pretty cool. Some of the other guys. Well, there's a lot of Sonics legends that um, the Mariners you're probably better on. But I, I have a Griffey, I have a Gary Payton. And for the Seahawks, I have a bunch of jerseys. My first Seahawks jersey was Matt Hasselbeck. Um, I got a Lofa Tatupu jersey in the, that weird color that they went to their super, first Super Bowl with. And then those were my only two before I got into this generation when the new jersey came out. And then I have a Doug Baldwin jersey. I have a Marshawn Lynch jersey. I have a Cam Chancellor jersey. And then the last one we did, I got a Tyler Lockett one. So a bunch of guys. And Doug, Doug is one of my favorite jerseys. He's one of my favorite. Doug and Cam and Marshawn were my three favorite players of that generation. Most Seahawks fans probably have a Russell Wilson jersey. I do not. I, <laughs> I have a Matt Hasselbeck jersey. So well delivered. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this team right now, I think the jerseys to get DK Metcalf would be a sweet one. And they got those new, like, they're wearing like the old school 80s jerseys this year. They're finally mm-hmm. unleashing those jerseys. So when those come out with like a Bobby Wagner, a DK, Quandre Diggs, like the new, these new generation, Devin Witherspoon, JSN, like, there's a lot of Seahawks jerseys you can go for. Yeah, uh, that was awesome, Jeff. It was impressive hearing you rattle that off. Uh, our, our Toronto boy who's uh, who knows all the Seattle sports. I will, first of all, I'm not, I don't actually have that many jerseys. The jerseys I have are almost all Seahawks jerseys. And so I'm not going to rattle off all the jerseys I have, but I will say, and I also am a Trailblazers fan. I grew up in Portland, so I'm not a Sonics fan, but I will throw in, if I was to say, let's go for, I think, the coolest Seattle jerseys to own. I'll give you one on the, on the, on the Sonics that is probably lesser known. I think Slick Watts uh, would be a really solid jersey to own. Um, I think on the Mariners side, Griffey, Edgar, uh, you know, Randy Johnson, those are pretty solid uh, jerseys to potentially own. I, I mean... Julio Rodriguez right now certainly is about as cool as you can get on a Jersey. Um, For the Seahawks, you know, I think there's actually a few that are pretty cool. I mean, there's the classics where you go Largent, you could go Kurt Warner, you could go, I mean, personally for me, Brian Blades would be up there, but that's if you want to go super old school and, and off the beaten path. John L. Williams would be a very cool one that no one else would have, but you know, you're going to see Cortez Kennedy's things of that nature. I think we'd always really solid. Chad Brown was a great Jersey back in the day. So yeah, I think the ones that have the most meaning to me are Matt Hasselbeck and Doug Baldwin for sure. I think the coolest Jersey of the current would either be Marshawn or Cam um, for sure. So those are ones that, that jump out to me. All right, we're going to keep going here. Jeff, you got a few more minutes? Yeah, yeah, I got time. All right, cool. All right. Uh, This comes from Eric. Given the success of the team last year, is winning now the only way to measure the results of the upcoming season, 
or is a small step backwards win lot a small step backwards in the win loss perspective with a lot of playing time and experience gains for the young guys just as important as maybe and maybe better long term i can start with this one um I think that winning matters every year. That sounds cliche and simple, but I think it matters. And so I don't think you build towards a really good team by playing young players and losing. And even the Seahawks in 2010 went seven and nine, but they won a division title that year and they won a playoff game that year. 2011 they had an under 500 record they did not make the playoffs but they were really good and they finished the season like six and two or six and one or something like that after they kind of figured things out and they figured out their formula and they beat good teams and then when you got 2012 it was it was all over after that so they never were bad but no i i i would be very disappointed if this team isn't above 500 and jeff my way too early completely way off prediction when i went through the the schedule which we didn't really talk about since it's come out i see this team as like i I predicted 12 wins is what i saw i think it's a 10 to 12 win team and it's i think it's a pretty tough schedule so how do you feel about teams playing their young guys getting experience but not winning um i think that was last year i think a year later where the roster is i think you're kind of beyond that at this point and Last year was kind of about setting the table. And the cool thing about where they were last year was when they were winning a lot earlier in the year, it wasn't because of like older players in the team. And obviously Gino was a massive part of that, but a big part of that was how all those rookies were contributing and how rare that was. And that was driving a lot of it. And it was Gino and all those rookies. And now you have a lot of those guys on the second year, plus another rookie class. What I know we've had our gripes, but regarding the league, it's, you listen to any like podcast or TV show, everyone's giving the Seahawks an A or an A plus. Lewis Riddick was on talking about it the other day. Like this roster, and it's, and then you have the context of where the NFC is, and there's a legitimate chance the Seahawks have the third best roster in the in the NFC. And sure, maybe you can pick Dallas or Detroit or whatever, but most people would have them in the top five, especially after that last draft. So. I don't think you can view this as a year where like it's a development year. Like they took that step last year with that rookie class. Now you build a stack, another one and kind of one from a personnel standpoint, what makes teams go from bad to good quickly is two drafts and they've had their two drafts and now they should be in line to be a perennial playoff team. And maybe they're not at that Super Bowl contending level yet, but they're trending in that direction. That's where they are sending. And they've had the drafts to go from irrelevant which what they were a couple of years ago to contender they're they're there so i think if your expectations aren't that i think that would be very disappointing if they play young players and they don't win yeah i think there's a good good nuance here to, to touch on as well which is one i don't want to see the team artificially bringing in a veteran to block like i don't want to see Artie burns blocking devin witherspoon Right. Like that would be frustrating. But the truth is, is if the if the young players are good enough, they won't be blocked by anybody. Right. That's what happens when you have ascending. Truly elite. 
young talent is they demand the field. Talent finds its way on the field. And when it doesn't, there's almost always a reason. We talked about Marquise Blair for so long, right? Where Marquise Blair were like, this guy looks like he's good. He makes a couple plays. Why can't he get on the field? We surmised that it was because he was not doing stuff off the field properly. And then he goes away from Seattle and he can't make it anywhere else either. So if the guys, like, if you want this team to actually be a contender, then you want them to win and you want them to win because the young players are the ones playing well. You want kind of what was happening with the Mariners last year where Julio Rodriguez, their youngest player, was their best player. That's kind of what you want to see show up for the Seahawks. Uh, all right. Let's take two more. Take two more. Mark Zuck uh, asks, if if our rookies, Weatherspoon, Devin Weatherspoon, Don, uh, Derek Hall, uh, Cameron Young are good, and we get back Jamal Adams healthy, do you see a top 10 defense with this group? So I think – we both might be a little bit negative on that, but let's 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 twist this a little bit and say, what is the most optimistic upside for this defense? In terms of just like a ranking or what what they're going to do? Sure. Like if things go well for this defense, how good can it be? I think somewhere around twelve is probably what I would think is like a realistic best case scenario. It just kind of struck me the other day how many new players they're acclimating into this defense. And like I was watching some show on ESPN and they were kind of just talking about the Seahawks and they basically turned over their entire defense outside of a few players. Like they're acclimating Bobby Jones, Reed, Cam Young. They basically swiped out their entire defensive line and linebacker. Like expect that all to hit the ground running with a new potentially corner, a new safety, like, and Deshaun Desai is not there. So there's going to be a lot of different coaching it's it doesn't it takes time it usually takes two years to acclimate a lot of our issues like evan mentioned earlier and evan goes crazy about this every year but really a lot of the issues we've seen with defense has been talent wise since really the legion of boom year turn like there was those year the years in 2019 and 2020 where they just were playing like scrubs all over the defense and tedrick thompson and some of the players their talent is better like their edge rushing group has four young players five you consider Tyreek Smith as a guy. There's sustainable things where they're not pigeonholing, but with this defensive line group and linebackers where you just have guys on one-year contracts, the front seven was just such a glaring issue last year. To expect this all to turn around with this many young players and new players, not just young, they just have so many new players they're counting on. So defensive do take time. They have to gel together. So they – I think it's going to, I think this is a two year project and I think there's going to be growing pains this year. And I think top 10 would be a big surprise to me. Yeah. I think that this team, if everything goes right, well, I'll say this. I think what's in the realm of possibility that would be really positive. I think this could, they could have the best secondary in football. I do think that's possible. I, I don't think that's out of the question. I think you could have, yeah. If the if if the safeties turn out, if the cornerbacks turn out, I, I think you could have the best you could have the best secondary. And that's not nothing in a passing league, for sure. I think that the depth in the front seven is so thin, other than an outside linebacker, 
yeah. that it's just hard for me to, to, to trust that this defense could hold up. I mean, if they all stay healthy, which no defense ever does, I don't know. I think that your best hope is that it's it's that their scheme changes and that they get some guys in there that that flash. I think you need Cam Young. You need Cam Young to not just be good. You need Cam Young to be a, a man. Like you need Cam Young to be him. And it's possible. I I just don't know that you should bank on that with a what was he a fifth round pick? Um so uh, yeah, I, I think top 10 is pushing it. Um, I think if they can get in the top half of the league, we'll see. All right. Last question comes from Z Ray 2018. And he says, according to an article from Michael Sean Dugar, friend of the show, Gino led the league in turnover worthy throws after week 10. So it appears that we benefited from a lot of positive variants last year. Does the addition of all these new weapons support on offense impact the amount of turnover worthy throws? Or is it primarily on Gino's decision-making play style? So, Jeff, my, my take on this is two things. One, I'll make it three things. One, I think people have this narrative now that Gino was good for the first half of the year and then was bad forever after. And that there was two, two sides of that story and, and that, he, you know, he's either the Gino you got at the beginning or you believe he's a Gino in the second I think that's bullshit. I think that there is definitely, he played much better in the first half of the season and was, I, I think, a, a more consistent, better player. But this is not a guy that turned into a nothing. We saw Russell Wilson have ends halves of seasons where the offense literally could not function. And he was throwing, you know, interceptions. He was like, the offense was not able to function at all. That wasn't the case with the Seahawks. They were able to still move along. And I still look at his performance against some really good defenses where it's including the playoff game. His first half against San Francisco was excellent. It was excellent. So what I saw, and this gets to my second thing is why then were there differences in the second half of the season? Part of it was he definitely started forcing things. He definitely started making some throws that he was not making. He talked about it during the season. The coaches talked about it. And that's a problem. And my hope there is that a, an offseason of reviewing his film for the first time in his basically in 10 years or whatever it's been since he was drafted, that he's smart enough that he's going to see the things he was doing and, and convince himself you know, to avoid those kinds of decisions. Some of that's just in Geno. And so that'll come like anytime you've got a guy that has that much confidence, which you need in a quarterback, he is going to make some throws that you think are ill-advised and you have to kind of live with it. But I think he'll be better in that regard. And then the third thing is the interior of that Seahawks offensive line eroded in the second half of the year. It was significantly better performing in the times that happens to be highly correlated with when Gino was playing better. I think they're related. I think that he started feeling the need to get rid of the ball faster. I don't think he was feeling as comfortable in the pocket. He was taking more sacks and that generally leads to more turnover worthy throws. So I believe the interior of the line, this is why I've been hammering on this. If that can be good, I think this offense can be great because guess what? It was great the first half of last year. And I think there's every reason to think it's even better this year. So that's kind of my take. Um, Jeff, I'm curious your thoughts. 
Um, you hit on a lot of good points. I'm going to add a couple. Um, so Blythe thing right away. Um, Austin Blythe had a season where in the first half of the year, like we were all pretty surprised by how well he played. I know about everyone's talking about his communication. His PFF grades were okay. His lack of size and lack of physicality, and he retired after the season for a reason. I think his body just started to go on him. He's not a big player. He's a guy that got the most out of his smarts. He was getting physically manhandled a lot, and it blew up a lot of plays. And if you see some of the mistakes Gino made, it was from forcing things because they couldn't hold up at the center. And there were a lot of games, the Carolina game, there's a few plays. And people are going to take what I'm about to say, and maybe they'll take this the wrong way. But there were some things I saw in Gino that reminded me a lot of Jared Goff, and not in the worst way, but when Jared, Jared Goff made the Super Bowl in this offense. And when Goff had everything working around him, they at times looked unstoppable, that Rams offense. And when things started to break down, like protection and he was being rushed, Gino kind of made some of the similar mistakes that Goff would make. And again, Goff played really, really well last year. So in a new team. So now you come back and they had a 320 pound center. They want to make sure they're not having guys who are undersized tossing their guy around. That's going to help things. A big thing last year was they didn't have the third receiver. And when Tyler Lockett got banged up, Gino did not have a good outlet. And Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is like the quarterback's cheat code of a guy who, his split time is like Julian Edelman. And people will remember what he did to the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, but he is a quarterback's best friend. And a guy you can get the ball out quickly and get open with those two outside receivers. When Tyler Lockett got injured in that Kansas City game and didn't play, their passing game was just brutal. They, they double-teamed DK Metcalf, and you left with Laquan Treadwell, and I think Marquise Goodwin got hurt, and you were left with Penny Hart. Mm. To add Jackson Smith and Jigba, which, again, is a quarterback's best friend, I think it's going to do wonders. And I think just the big thing you meant, and we talked about this a lot, Russell Wilson, the way he played in Seattle, was it was so reliant on big plays. It was so reliant on play action. And a lot of it just wasn't sustainable. And you saw when Shane Waldron came in, who was more of a timing guy, he's more of design throwing over the middle. They didn't work. They didn't mesh. And I know a lot of like the advanced writers and analytics people just said like they're a terrible fit. A lot of the stuff Gino did is super sustainable. And now you put a second year in this offense where they're going to play way more. They were pretty low in the numbers in terms of like 11 personnel, three receivers. Waldron and well with that Rams offense in year two here. And scheme guys open. The tight ends were really, really good at the beginning. Now they like with they can do to make things easier on Gino with Jackson Smith and Jigma and if the line breaks and now he can grasp the system a little more. And again, you saw Jared Goff in year two of the system went to the Super Bowl. So I don't, I think with Gino is the same kind of system where, and a big part, another thing last year, Kenneth Walker got hurt. And when mm-hmm. the running game went away and you had DJ Dallas playing and Tony Jones had to play a couple games, their offense did not work. Like the, it didn't work as well. The full, full circle thing Pete always talks about. And the Shanahan McVay stuff, it all comes around the running game. Now, hopefully, you can get Walker healthy. But now that you add Charbonnet in here as insurance, I think that's going to make Geno a lot better. And the, the, and you talked about this, me and you talked about it. A big thing that happened in that playoff game was Kenneth Walker was running the ball down their throat. And it let Geno kind of cook on third down. And it really opened up the whole offense. And we talked about the Seattle's issues on defense. On offense, they're, they're outside of maybe a guard and center. 
their offense is loaded. They have the best personnel maybe of any team outside of the quarterback in the whole league. And now they have three or four pretty good running backs. Now they got receivers, they got tight ends, they got two young tackles. Gino is set up to really succeed this year. And I think all those issues we talked about last year, they made an effort to fix all of them. So I think there's real good reason to believe that that second half can be kind of flipped around this year. Those are, those are awesome ads. And I'll kind of end on this. I don't mind leaning in on Geno Smith at this point. And, and I understand why everyone would be hesitant and I understand where that comes from. I trust what I saw. I trust what I, I trust what I saw with that guy. I think that he is, and I trust what I've like learned and heard in terms of how, he, how he prepares and who he is and how smart he is. And this guy, for all the things that people want to talk shit about him last year, he led the NFC in passing touchdowns. He was fourth in the NFL in passing touchdowns. And you can talk about almost any metric you want, but you talk about NFL teams, they talk about players that score touchdowns. And Gino does that. So he's great on third down. He is great pre-snap. And you've given him more weapons. I think that there's every reason. I mean, we don't even talk about Derek Young, not because he's going to be the next great thing, but Derek Young showed some signs and he's going to be in his second season. D. Eskridge, we can make all the jokes we want. We don't have to assume anything from him. If somehow he is a new weapon, he's a pretty different type of weapon than any of the other players that they've got on the roster. And he could bring a different dimension to that offense. So those are guys you're not even counting on that in past years, we'd be hoping and praying that they would turn into something special. So if, if I'm wrong and Geno Smith reverts, I will be okay wearing that. I'll be okay taking the risk about looking like a jackass by betting on a guy like Geno Smith. Um, and so I really, I really, really think that people are on the wrong side of this. If they are expecting him to fall off, if they're expecting him for him to regress, if they're expecting him to just be a game manager. I think this guy can be in the running for the best quarterback in this conference, period. I, I absolutely believe that. And time will tell. So main thing is going to be that middle of the offensive line. Got to make sure that that actually holds up. And I think there's some reason to hope that it will. All right. That was not every Patreon question, but it was almost all of them. And we really appreciate all of you who have joined patreon.com slash Hawkblogger. Sign up right now, get instant access to the Slack channel. You too can ask us questions and we will try to answer as many of them as we can. Plus you'll get to talk to other Seahawks fans all through the off season and the regular season and the proceeds go to charity. We've donated over 200 and 60,000 now? Yes, I think it's 260,000 donated to charity. So really, really appreciate all your support. And give the show a like, subscribe to the channel, give us a five-star review on whatever you do, wherever you listen to your podcast. We absolutely appreciate it. Jeff, it's been a blast getting back in touch. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. We get a, a long weekend here in the States for Memorial Day. And uh, I'm going to be going down to hazy San Diego oh. while it's going to be <laughs> up here in Seattle. But that's okay. It'll be fun. <laughs>
It is. It's a fun. It's a fun area. So, all right, everybody, take care of yourselves. Go Hawks.